0: Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and thank you so much for joining today. The topic that we're going to focus in on is five essential talent management strategies for a virtual world and it's a little bit different this particular episode because I've taken the content from a webinar that I ran recently for an organisation called Hireful that I'm sure quite a number of you will be aware of. If you're not, they are a great recruitment technology company, so uh, do look them up if you are looking for support in that area. They particularly focus in on organisations with sub-1,000 people, so everyday organisations they call them, and I know that lots of my listeners fit into that category, so I thought that this content could be really quite useful in, um, in that way, or I hope you'll find it is. In terms of what I'm going to cover, I'm going to just look at this idea that You know, we've had the last couple of years, haven't we, or 18 months where talent management was a big message a couple of years ago. And then we've just had COVID. We've been in this COVID vacuum. But the reality is now we're going back, um, getting back to normal ways of working. For many of us, that does include hybrid working. Not everybody has gone right back into the office what I'm going to explore here is why that could introduce a risk to both talent management and engagement in your organisation. And I'm going to explore five practical ways in which you can support your business in being alert to those and perhaps doing something about it. Because we are hearing about this idea of the Great Resignation uh, to what degree it's real. I have it all good authority that it is real, but largely only for the businesses that are not adapting in some way to hybrid working. So I thought it would be topical. As ever, there's certain things that we can do within an organisation, other things we have to try and do as enablers through our line management. And then I also touch in a little bit on career paths, uh, the ways in which we could look to develop talent through an organisation and how that might help us to retain them. So I hope you'll find it relevant. Um, just also a note, if you want to ask questions on this topic or you want to actually see me deliver this topic live, it's also on our webinar schedule. So we run ATACTUS webinars monthly. I usually run a couple a month and it's in our December programme. So if you want to see more about that, you'll be able to see the link on the HR Uprising website. We'll take you there so you can find it. But I think from memory, it's going out about the 8th of December so if you want to join and um, the webinars of course are very very interactive that I run uh, so you can ask questions all the way through people chat all the way through Um, it's very very two-way whereas this webinar that I was running that we've taken this recording from was very much a one-way conversation we weren't able to take two-way interaction So hopefully you'll find it um, interesting and relevant. Uh, Please do, as ever, stay in touch. uh, Contact us, recommend us to your friends if you're finding us of interest. Let me know the sort of topics that you would like me to cover, uh, because I've always said I'll only carry on doing these podcasts while people are still listening and finding them relevant. Um, So, in that, with that in mind, I'm going to hand over to the recording from uh, a couple of weeks ago now, where we did we talked about five essential talent management strategies for a hybrid world. So how do we define talent? I'll ask a rhetorical question to you. If I was to ask, what do we mean by talent? um, What would you say talent is? And is it different in a hybrid workplace or not? So in fact, it's it's something, I mean, some people actually, I have to say, um, I have a love-hate relationship myself with the term talent. I think it's a little bit, can be a bit overused. It can be almost a bit elitist. Um, But thinking about it, what do we mean by it in a hybrid workplace and, in fact, in your workplace? So if this was a poll, which I'm not running polls today because it's a much larger audience in terms of um, the platform, this this exercise. But just again, just thinking about this, would you, if I was going to ask you the question, would you say that talent in your environment is a very select five or 10 percent of people? And that might be based on specific skill or on their performance so is it quite a niche group of people or would you say it's various pockets of people who perhaps have key skills so let's say you're in um, a high tech environment and you've got uh, some very competitive skills let's say so i don't python coders or something like that that're quite hard to get hold of that might be something that we'd consider to be talent or do you take the view that actually it's about everybody, that everyone in the organisation has talent and can be talent and it's about working out what their key skills are and getting the most out of them? So I don't know where you'd land and if you were to ask the people that you work with in organisation where they would land. To my view, I think talent can be applied to any one of those and it does depend to a large extent on business need. However, if we focus in on C, making sure that we're playing to everybody's talents and thinking as broadly as possible about talent, then we are going to make our organisation as resilient as possible. And we're going to really help uh, to to set us up for the future as there's no doubt that a hybrid workplace is going to mean in certain circumstances. Some people don't want to carry on working for your organisation unless you do things in a certain way it introduces greater risk and my take my take on this is that actually hybrid working itself can be a double-edged sword when it comes to talent management so it's not just about allowing people to work remotely so the 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 challenge i see in terms of hybrid working when i work with um to, to organizations that are doing this is that the people who enjoy it absolutely love it they don't want to go back into the office and if you force them to go back into the office actually they may well vote with their feet so there are people here and this whole concept of the great resignation that we may have heard about a lot of that comes down to people being forced to geographically move or or not to give up the flexibility that they've become accustomed to. Now it does depend doesn't it on the culture of the organisation that you work for and I don't know whether or not businesses with sub thousand um, are more forward thinking or less forward thinking. I think the cultural shifts probably um, range anyway to do with the sort of mindset of your uh, senior management team. But it's probably the organisations that had high trust while we were working were already empowering are the ones that are going to um, believe that people were productive all the way through the pandemic and they're going to be more likely to maintain it. But there is no doubt that there are certain managers and cultures where people can't wait to get everybody back in the office. And this is some kind of control piece. And that to me is a real risk uh, because certain people who really appreciate their empowerment are going to choose to move. I already know people who are talking to each other and saying, you know, I, I you know I do like the organisation. I do, I would stay, I would stay, but I'm not prepared to go into London five days a week. Now. I say so it's double-edged sword, so it's, hybrid, so it's great, actually, we can be productive, we can work remotely, but the disadvantage and advantage here is that all of a sudden, if we say that actually the job that previously had to be in office, now you can do it remotely, that means... Brilliant. That means you could suddenly recruit somebody. Let's say you're based in the southeast. Previously, you had to look for people within a 60, 80, 100 mile radius. You could now recruit somebody in Scotland and they could come and operate within your business and be productive if you've embraced hybrid working and that flexibility. Conversely, of course, someone in your organization who was working for you um, quite happily. They could also go and choose and work somewhere else now in Scotland. Let's say they're based in the South East and they can take a job up in Scotland, whether they choose to move or otherwise. So it is definitely something which is increasing mobility of talent. And that is going to mean that there's more choices for people which I would propose means that we have to be more alert to making our organization and it's not going to be a physical organization. It's a culture. It's a virtual virtual culture. We have to make sure that it's still as attractive as possible. So how can we do that? Um, I've identified five I guess, risks and opportunities with this double-edged sword that we can think about if you're trying to help your organisation hold on to this talent that you've been recruiting. So the five areas that I'm going to explore in a little bit more detail are geography, have you got a culture of collaboration, management style, so the way in which your leaders behave, visibility of skill and career development pathways. So geographic flexibility. So that's something that I've just been talking about, really, actually, to a certain extent. So the question to ask yourself here or to flag with your organisation is, are you embracing it? Have you, have you got a plan for hybrid working? Are you uh, just leaving it down to the individual line manager and saying that they can uh, impose Um, work out certain way of working or are you looking overall at the overall organization I am seeing so much difference in the way in which the businesses that we're working with are addressing this so I've got the most forward-thinking businesses that have really gone all out they've branded it they're doing a trial and they're calling it my choice and they've surveyed everybody and given people a genuine option to decide whether they want to be 100% home-based 100% office-based or Um, a mix in between the two and what they have then done is they've gone to the next level where you've got the resistant managers because you're always going to have people you can manager a says "Ah, but that doesn't work in my team Um, uh, but I'm going to do uh, team training every Monday and everyone's got to be in Uh, this is the way it's got to work so there will always be those managers who I'll talk more about management later, perhaps have got a little bit lower trust uh, in terms of their ability to engage people wherever they are, who may start under undermining that culture so you, you know, assuming many of us here are in HR oriented roles, it's up to us to challenge that to flag it if we've got um discrepancies because actually an internal discrepancy where one manager is doing one thing and another is doing another is going to be one of the fastest ways in which people are going to vote with their feet because they'll see that it's not fair they will see that um, manager b is allowing people to work entirely flexibly but your their manager isn't and that will seem as being inconsistent and fair and become a greater risk to people staying or going in the organization and i mean if you I'm, uh, if you're not convinced that people want this flexibility um, certainly you don't have to look too far to get quite a lot of uh, information suggests that a number of people do don't get me wrong I do realize there are certain people particularly um, the younger people in cities who actually or maybe who are in sort of single rooms in, in multi-houses and in multi-rental houses that possibly did want to go back to the office as soon as possible and want their social life um, but Undoubtedly, the overwhelming figures are that 88% of people who worked at home during lockdown want to maintain this to at least some capacity. And the likelihood is they want to maintain it in a way that suits them, not necessarily the way that suits their line manager. Now, clearly, it has got to work for the organisation. That's where the organisation or the line managers need to engage. People felt they were as productive as home as they were in the office, this statistic I found 41%, I thought that was quite low, I've seen other figures where people felt they're far, far higher, but that was um, one of the ones I found quite quickly, I think it was a Forbes figure, I forgot to put the um, reference on there. Uh, 50% of employees so this is a survey by Ernst & Young and these are pretty big the um, 88% was 7,000 people this EY survey I think it was 2,000 people 50,000 50% of those people would actually quit if they're not allowed flexible working so this is talent drain potentially and we think that it's the you yeah, know the people who are the middle class Um, parents who are sitting in their comfortable offices that actually don't want to go back into the office. But 92%, this is pre-pandemic figures, that 92% of young people want to work flexibly. And that's both geographically and that's of course hours as well. And days of the week, they want to have work-life balance is what CIPD research found. So we're talking here about retaining talent. We know how much work goes into bringing it into an organisation, onboarding it, getting people up to a point where they perform. We should absolutely think about how we meet their needs in terms of geographic flexibility to at least some extent. And being ad hoc, I would argue, is a risk. So I would really strongly recommend that if you're not already doing that is to... um, Have a conversation within your organisation about what are the principles, almost a charter about flexible working. What are the expectations um, across the business in terms of people's ability to work flexibly, whether that's geographical or days of the week, whatever that might be, and make sure you come up with some sort of um, standard approach And by standard, I don't mean it has to be one size fits all, something that everybody understands where they stand um, and they have clarity about what they're entitled to or otherwise. So you don't get those discrepancies and people feel unfairly treated and potentially move on. So that's my point number one. The second point is a culture of collaboration. And this is really about the way in which your organization communicates. So if people are working remotely, To what degree are people collaborating? And we know that one of the most common challenges for uh, people coming into an organization in a hybrid environment is training them up. Um, It's training people, it's onboarding people, it's things like information sharing. It's those informal uh, ways of, uh, of gathering information and sharing information. So what can you do to enable that to happen in a hybrid environment? what you can often find is that it's the people who are working together on projects or teams that they are able to collaborate. And then there's other pockets where there's a complete siloing. You're not bumping into anybody at the coffee machine anymore. You don't, you know, you don't get in the lift with somebody uh, and talk to someone from a different area. So actually you can end up with people feeling really quite isolated. And the risk there is you're not going to get the innovation um, and the freshness from people collaborating together, but it's not impossible. So, what can you do to get those happening? Can you start to bring on virtual themed teams, whether it's a talent team, uh, you could have um, an inclusion team, you could have different projects, you could have virtual coffees, you can have use technology, whether it's um, any, well, any of the technologies, whether it's Skype or one of the tools where you have specific Um, uh, it's gone out of my head the name of the collaboration technology but whatever your collaboration technology of choice is do you have something where if somebody wants to ask a question about one of your products where you can uh, identify who is the expert on that particular area where you can have people who have informal buddies across the organization where you set something up where everyone uh, meets up and has a virtual coffee with someone they haven't met before once a month, it's not difficult, but it needs somebody to coordinate it and to get that sort of level of collaboration going. And people need to have a reason to do it. Otherwise, in a hybrid environment, we will end up almost, as I say, becoming quite isolated. It's always easier to do your day job, isn't it? How are you gonna, you're not gonna just reach out to someone randomly. So how can we create that culture of collaboration, come up with reasons why people share, reward collaboration, even though it's in a virtual environment? and come up with these ways in which virtual teams can can share information and you can start to break down those barriers um, that may have have become established. And remember, the why is that so important? It's not just about sharing ideas. One of the main aspects, in fact, I saw this, um, it was was out on LinkedIn actually, I didn't take a photo of it, of the the recent survey of what keeps people in an organisation and having a sense of belonging, is that was the highest actual driver you wouldn't think it's not about reward it's not even about your line manager it was having a sense of belonging was the strongest driver in terms of why people would stay or leave an organization if they don't have a sense of belonging so the real risk that we have with hybrid working is that people no longer believe or belong to the organization they don't necessarily feel part of it they're not going into that office with the logo and wearing the lanyard around their neck they're sitting at their home and they're working as an individual contributor so collaboration is about where we feel part of a team we feel part of something it gives us a sense of belonging and that is going to be a key way in which you keep people in the organization so don't forget it's not just about collaborating for an output it's actually about collaborating so that people have a true sense of belonging and want to stay as part of that team and that organization Moving on to people management. So earlier this year we did some research and we asked people what they found in terms of people management was particularly important when working remotely and we found they broke it down and gave people a list of all different types of people management behaviours that you might um, put in place and we found that actually every single part of people management was rated as significantly more important or, or equally important when working remotely. Now, you know, so, okay, so what? Well, remember really over the last 20 years, there have been so many pieces of research which have said that um, the people management skills, particularly in the UK, are poor to say the least. We are we in terms of GDP, in terms of our um, overall performance, our investment in people managers um, as a nation, is really really low. Um, so we, it's not not something to be proud of. We're not seen as having um, highly skilled managers. The other he risk is we all know about the term engagement so employee engagement if you look at what actually drives employee engagement and engagement is linked to retention it's linked to performance and productivity etc etc it's linked to everything customer satisfaction Um, employee engagement is directly related to the quality of people management so if you draw the logical conclusion here we don't have greatly skilled people managers and that's when people were in the same place that's when it was face-to-face. We now know that working on managing people remotely is actually more important and significantly more time-consuming, which is also what we found in this survey, and potentially more difficult and challenging than um, managing people when it's face-to-face. I don't know whether it really is more challenging, I think it's maybe that presenteeism made managers feel you could get away with it, Um, but the reality is the skills need to be even higher when we're working remotely, and I say higher still in a hybrid environment, because at least when we were all working remotely, everybody was in the same position, everyone was in the same place, we could all jump on this and if we all turned our cameras on, we were all in the same position. Now with a hybrid environment, someone's in the office, someone's not, uh, You know, it's how can you as a line manager treat everybody fairly without treating them exactly the same, but then without disadvantaging certain people, it's a real minefield. So I would definitely say, look at the skills of your people managers and invest in them right invest in skills and the people managers they probably needed some development in the first place um, without a shadow of a doubt the challenges of a hybrid workplace means that they need to raise their game further if you want to know more about this incidentally um, I wrote an e-book on this to perform people management culture and I as part of the HR uprising webinars um, sorry webinars uh, I did do webinars as well um, podcasts there's a series on there which is aimed specifically at people managers so it takes into each one of these perform points it's not rocket science but there's an adjustment here to um, a perform culture of people management in terms of this mnemonic which is tweaked for managing people in a hybrid or remote environment fundamentally, it's about making sure that we're more human oriented. It is about knowing our people. So have I got somebody in my team who actually really still wants to talk to me every other day or once we left on their own, are they motivated in a certain way? Do I know whether they're feeling isolated or otherwise? It's really about being less transactional. We had got to a point when we were in the office that managers were quite transactional. It was, and they were almost managing by task That just doesn't work when we're in a hybrid environment. We have to make sure that people feel supported and empowered to perform, but also they've got really clear expectations so they know what they need to do without coming to you every moment. So do managers know how to agree outcome based goals and milestones that people can be reviewed against. Are managers checking in regularly? Do they know how to give good quality feedback? Probably not. Um, Are they able to coach people, to develop people remotely? Um, Are they empowering them? Uh, When we're working in a hybrid environment, people need to be, you know, I could be doing nothing or I could be doing loads. Um, And it's making sure that we're coaching people for accountability. There's no benefit really of having everybody's webcam on to breathe down their neck. It's not gonna make people more effective. To be honest, having people in the office doesn't mean that they're being more effective. They could be, as soon as your back's turned, you know, surfing the net. What we want is for people to want to be productive, to know what their outputs need to be, uh, to have the right skills to do it and to take ownership and accountability. All of those are delivered through the skills of our people managers. And if our people managers don't have those skills, then that's a high risk. That is really going to risk us losing our talent. We want to make sure that you've got positive um, feedback in there that is really again about that involvement and engagement and making sure that people feel part of the organization and managing performance so making sure that people um, just because we're remote doesn't mean that we don't manage performance so giving people feedback when things are working but also if they need to adjust performance there's no reason why we can't do that you don't have to do it face to face. If we're talking to people on a regular basis we can highlight where things need to change give little tweaks and turn performance round and actually people feel they're appreciative of it again when you survey man, um hr sort of issues within their organization the one that comes up time and time, and time again is culture of underperformance. so my most downloaded uh, um, HR Uprising podcast episode is about managing under performance or a culture of high, how, to, how to generate a culture of high performance. So that is one of the challenges that we're always working on. And again, it comes down to all of this. If you have clear expectations, you're giving regular feedback, the reality is we're going to have a culture of performance. We're setting the scene for talent to be able to perform. If I then feel as, a, as talent within the organisation that I can deliver my best and I am performing, Why would I want to go somewhere else, particularly if my working um, style and approach suits me and is what I want it to do and I feel valued by my manager and I have a sense of belonging? So we've talked about one, two, three, haven't we We talked about geographical location, so actually being flexible there, we've talked about enabling that culture of collaboration and belonging, we've talked about making sure that our managers have the right skills, so they've got the right, we've got therefore the right people management culture that's going to bring the talents out in our people. And again, if we think of that definition of talent as being everybody getting the best out of everybody wherever they are whether they've got a a unique skill that's really hard to come by or they've just got you know they're a solid performer and you want to get the best out of them it's looking to those talents wherever they are in the organization so one of the challenges we often have is can we see skills though is getting visibility and depending on how your um, organization is set up depending on whether you have any uh, visibility of skills in the organisation, then you could think about identifying where specific skills are or talents as opposed to talent the person, talents as that we might all have, and consider how you can make those more visible and develop them. So this is where we can become more strategic about our talent management. So if you wanted to do that, you might think which roles or positions Are essential for business survival or delivering the strategy. So, you know, wherever people are positioned, you might think, what do we really need in terms of going forwards? I know that our business strategy is that we need to break into a specific new market for argument's sake. And in order to do that, we need people who can sell this kind of product or can develop this kind of product, whatever it might be. It could also be looking at our competitors um, or identifying certain roles that we know they are really expensive to recruit for or difficult to replace. So what do we do there? Maybe we might want to identify the people who've got those skills and make sure we're doing something special for them in terms of um, understanding what's going to retain them, whether it is geography or development, finding out what's what floats their boat. So you make sure you've got something in place to tr- try and retain those people or even grow their skills, and the other thing to think about is: is there any, any people there who are particularly hard to replace? So all of those would be ways in which we're looking at talent from the point of view of skills. Now, you can you can do this on a spreadsheet, uh, depending on the size of your organisation. If you if you have a system like ours and actors, what we can do is we can do skills. You can ide- actually do a talent profile, but you could do something like this manually. So could you identify who has got key skills in your business? It may be that you have something. If you've got um, the Microsoft suite, for example, in 365, there's certain areas there where you can get people to put profiles in place or it's their LinkedIn, it's their internal LinkedIn. But essentially, is there a way in which you can Identify what the key skills are that you need strategically in the business and work out who has them, put in case, put in place plans for them to be retained, for them to disseminate and share that knowledge and to further develop it, and also to be alert to those skills that you're bringing into an organization. So if I think about if we use our we use Hireful, if we bring skills into the organization, how can you bring that data in and do more with it? Because when we recruit somebody, we know all these amazing things they've done. It's all on their CV, but we bring them into our business and we lose that visibility. So is there a way within your HR systems that you can capture those talents and skills and do stuff with it rather than just do it when we enter when we bring people into the organisation and never considering it again? When you have a new starter, do you share what are their key skills? Do we make sure that the other people in the team realise their unique Advantages so you can allow them to share those skills once they're within the organization. Again, that's going to give them that sense of belonging really, really rapidly. They feel valued, they feel they're bringing something to the table. The rest of the team value them and see what they can bring, and they're able to be utilized as quickly as possible. So, how can you get visibility of the talents and skills in your business and utilize them strategically? And make sure that you know them from day one when people come in. Can you bring those through as part of the onboarding? Can you put them in the system where you've got talent profiles or find some way in which you can get that visibility? And then the final part of this is about keeping talent motivated to help them feel that they've got somewhere to go. Even in smaller organisations, you can look at how you can provide people with um, just being able to see that next step for them. So a lot of the time people, we talked about belonging, but the other thing that people want is the idea that they're developing or progressing within your organisation. So what you could do here is define what I'm going to call a virtual career pathway. Now, this idea here, it's inspired by the book, The um, Leadership Pipeline, which I actually read about 20 years ago, and I applied this when I worked for Siemens, and it was a really, really useful model. Now, they talk about the leadership pipeline in terms of people going up an organization in terms of being people managers. And this in itself is quite an interesting point when it comes to talent. So, what they are saying is that in order to progress up an organization, each role that you go into, in terms of a people management type role, requires you to take on new skills but not just take them on, it also requires you to let go of old ones. So for example, that first transition, moving from a team member to a team leader, that's actually one of the most complicated, um, that's one of the most complicated uh, transitions, because you have to take off that hat, which is, it's all about me, it's about my performance targets, about my day job, and you have to switch into getting results through others. It's a particularly challenging role because sometimes you have people who are sort of player managers. So they only have one or two people. So they still have all the responsibilities of their old job, but also some management responsibilities of others. Now, that change, that particular transition, I think is particularly tricky because it does require you to want to be a people manager as opposed to people who just want the status increase. And I'll come on to what you can do about that more so. But regardless of how it is and how large your organisation, this particular one where it's got five transitions would probably be quite a large organisation. In maybe a smaller uh, organisation. We may only have three or four transitions. But you can see that as you go up the um, up each one, you need to take on new skills, you need to learn new skills. So you need to develop people and also potentially let go of older ones. So as we go up to cost centre manager, it's more about commercial awareness, but it's perhaps letting go. Of some of the detail, it's about getting results through team leaders. It's not about micromanaging. And then at functional roles, um, this is more about looking out of the organisation, not just um, within the organisation. So seeing the bigger picture, being more strategic. And again, those are skills and competencies that people can develop. But what happens, we don't necessarily want to push everybody into people management because our third point was about making sure that we have managers who are good managers. And the starting point of being a good manager is someone who wants to be a good manager and has what I would describe as the people gene. What you sometimes find and too often find in organisations is it's Uh, particularly smaller organizations where you can have sort of founders such as Zell people who perhaps haven't got any experience in management I have got experience in large company management but you've got people who end up in leadership roles really without um, the knowledge of what it is to be a leader and sometimes it would be better to take the people away from them and create a career pathway for people who are specialists now This is an example of something that's, again, in a larger organisation, but there's nothing to stop you from coming up with that in yours. So you might have the um, project manager uh, who wants to go at the next level. So you could create um, a pathway which has got more senior titles. It's got more senior um, benefits bands. Maybe people get different types of flexible working Depends on whatever it might be, but whatever the benefits might be, and you need to listen to your people that they would find beneficial, there's nothing to stop you from creating a pathway. And if I was to lay those first two on each other, you can see that this one's going from right to left, and this one's going from left to right. You would end up having a pathway where they both go up together. And essentially, even though one of them, let's say the principal project manager um, or principal technician doesn't manage others, they've got the same status and they can always see that next bit of development. So how could you create that virtual career pathway within your organization? So that once your talent gets to the point where they feel they've mastered that particular job and they look around and go, oh yeah, but it's dead man's shoes. I want to go to the next job. What am I going to do next? Giving them something to aim for within your organization as opposed to them actually voting with their feet and leaving the organization. So you can come up with this sort of pathway, and then you might want to overlay some sort of development on top of that. So again, this is the sort of thing that we offer, and um, and I've done myself in um, organisations where you'd come up with specific courses that are appropriate to that transition. So if you're someone who is a team member and you want to go into your first team leader role, it's all about your personal impact. When you're in your first team leader role, it's really all about those people management skills. As we go up the ladder it's more about commercial awareness and then once people become more senior often the development there is personalized to the individual as opposed to broader clearly again this is something that needs to fit your um, organization it's not one size fits all but you can get the idea here but ideally what the point of this is to give the talent in your organization something to aim for so they can see that they have got A really exciting future within your business rather than having to vote outside it so that concludes my five virtual talent management strategies Um, we've mentioned geography in terms of flexibility we've mentioned collaboration we've mentioned management style how you can have visibility of talent and skill and also creating career pathways for your organization i really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now, you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.